Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to an emergency episode of Oh God, What Now? The Grinch Triumphant. I'm Dorian Linsky. Even by the standards of 2020, it was a dispiriting weekend of news, so I'm here with Naomi Smith and Alexandre to talk about what it all means. Hi, Naomi. Hi. Hi, Alex. Hello. Uh, so, Naomi, we said last week that the government should U-turn on Christmas, but it was probably too late because people had made plans and the backlash would be awful. Obviously, that was would have been going through their minds as well. What what forced their hand? It's very hard to know, but um, I think Steve Swinford in today's Times is worth a read. He's done quite a thorough analysis of it all and reveals that an internal assessment in early December suggested there will be nearly 700,000 cases a week by mid to late February, more than three times the present level with 20,000 hospital admissions and 5,000 deaths. And it's worth noting that that early December prediction was before the new strain of the virus was really taken into account and before the decision to cancel Christmas. And he reports that the extent of the threat from the new strain only became apparent in the cabinet meeting last Friday. Um, And a source told him that everyone was blindsided and I don't think anyone in the room expected it to be quite so bad. So... It's hard to know who knew what and when. Um, we can talk a bit more about that later, but but it, I think that that pivotal meeting happened on Friday, where it really left really left them with their sort of jaws slack over the projected numbers. Well, because I mean, obviously there is a sort of rather sort of you know, the critical tendency is to assume well they they knew they knew earlier and they didn't do anything. But you, but I do wonder if would would Johnson have mocked Starmer as a Christmas killer mm. on uh, Wednesday if if he had known? It just seems like um, <laughs> that would have been a very well, stupid thing to do. Yes, but you know, let's, <laughs> long list of stupid things that Johnson's done this year, uh, starting the year by boasting about having you know been meeting and greeting COVID patients. I wouldn't be surprised if he'd been told, but not listened. And as I said, it, it's really hard to know, you know, when it came onto the government radar as being serious. But if you look at Patrick Valance's slides from that Saturday emergency press conference, there's one that shows that they were clearly mapping the prevalence of this new strain in the week commencing the 18th of November. 
so a month before, and noting that it was accounting for about a quarter of all infections in the London area, southeast of England and east of England. And they were around the 28% level then, so 28% of all infections due to the new strain, and that that had shot up, according to his chart, to 60% by the week commencing the 9th of December. And let's remember that Hat Mancock put out the alarm a week before the presser, and the BBC reported that on the 14th of December, that a new variant of coronavirus had been found growing faster in some parts of England, MPs had been told, and that at least 60 different local authorities had recorded COVID infections caused by the new variant. So I actually think Johnson probably had been told, hadn't really listened, and so continued with his usual bloody bombast. So Alex, this 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 new, new strain of COVID-19 is said to be 70% uh, more infectious, or at least in some in some news reports. But there still seems that there's quite a lot that we don't know. How much do we know? And do you think again? I suppose the the sort of the anti-government instinct is to assume that they're kind of like that this would have happened anyway, and that they are simply blaming this new strain. Um, but then, from 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 what Naomi's saying, for what I've been reading, you know, it it, it is a legitimate new uh, problem, which really which changes the numbers. Although it, although it has to be said, um, I've seen a couple of people from, you know, the the alternative sage um, on the news in the last twenty four hours explaining that the only way they um, they assess that the transmittability of this new um, variant it's not a strain it's actually a variant um, the only way they can assess the tra- the transmittability of this new variant is by looking at its transmittability, if that makes sense. Um, And so there's no way of uh, separating uh, what is down to it being much more transmittable and what is down to people having overly relaxed and not paying attention and not taking the right measures and mixing too much. Do you see what I mean? So, So you're in a situation where people you know, were overly relaxed, not really paying attention to the uh, hygiene me- measures in ever larger numbers, and that's caused an increased transmittability anyway. So they're trying to separate exactly how much of that is down to this new variant and how much of that is down to the fact people relax too much. Are you blaming the public, Alex? Are you blaming <laughs> no, the... no, no. No, I'm they, not... Do they not no, have I'm enough just... British common sense? No, man, I'm just saying, you know, this is fucking science. You know, unless you can, unless you can do experiments in a, in a lab where you keep all other variables constant and just test the transmittability of this variant versus other variants, you can't know how much of it was down to the, to the variant or down to behavior. Uh, and on this subject, I mean, the Tories instinctively love to rely on, on the public's common sense. I mean, that seems to have been one of their main sort of arguments. Then you get things like Matt Hancock criticising people for packing the last trains out of London, even though obviously that's bound to happen if you say no trains out of London as of midnight. Uh, yeah. People that need to get out of London are probably going to go to the station. Um I mean, how can the I mean, politically, so how can the public be both sort of exemplars of earthy wisdom and reckless idiots? Well, that's because the you know the vast majority of the public are actually listening and they are doing the right thing, but when you're in a city of ten million people like London is, it only takes actually a tiny fraction of the public to be idiots to pack 
the the six central stations that are in London. And so both things are capable of being true. The problem with that is that unless you have clarity in your message, even people who were who want to do the right thing find it difficult to do the right thing. And so you know, if you end up saying we will close the pubs but only from next Sunday, then what you're also telling people is that it's safe to go to the pub until next Sunday. If you're telling people we will close the train stations but from midnight, the implicit addendum to that is that it's safe to take a train until midnight. So you have to either be decisive and say we're doing this and we're doing it now and enforce it. You know, you can't... If you give people discretion, the implicit thing is that the grey area you've outlined in, in that discretion, it's okay to act within that. Yeah, it does seem to undermine uh, the sort of the libertarian tendency in the Tory party that just, like if you said, if, it's, if it only takes a small number of people um, to not do the right thing, then you can't just kind of, uh, you can't take the more relaxed approach. Indeed, that's why I want to call it the Barrington variant. <laughs> they, they fucking deserve that and all they do. well at least uh julie hartley brewer's on holiday <laughs> um the public seem to approve of the in this kind of snap polling naomi public seem to approve of the measures but dislike how they were handled by sort of similar amounts sort of you know six sixty five percent in sort of each is that really the sort of the, the story of the the story of the pandemic so these apparently hope- contradictory <laughs> I bloody hope so, um, because, uh, you know, the, the the libertarian flank have wielded undue influence over this government, um, and they are not representative of voters at large. Throughout the pandemic, everyone has wanted more lockdown, further lockdown, harder lockdown. They don't like the rules not being applied fairly to everybody, but they are happy to do it. Um, and I really hope that the constant, constant expectation mismanagement by this government surely has to be its eventual downfall. Um, because I think voters are growing totally weary, but more dangerously wary uh, of the government saying one thing one minute and doing a 180 the next. You know, in March, Johnson said we'll turn the tide in 12 weeks. It's now Christmas and we're still yeah. in a lockdown. In May, he said, you know, we'll have world beating test and trace by the end of the month. Well, it was never world beating. In fact, you hear nothing at all really now about, about tra- uh, you know, the, the, the tracing um, side of it. Um, and of course, it wasn't ready on time. In July, he said we would be back to normality by Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Also in July, we won't need another national lockdown. And mm. today we're hearing tier four will probably be extended to the whole of England. October, he mocked Starmer over a national lockdown and says it would be a disaster. We are now definitely facing another national lockdown. Of course, we had one uh, in November. And then by December, cancelling Christmas would be inhuman. Four days later, cancels Christmas. So I really, really do hope uh, that the uh, that, that the government's constant expectation mismanagement is going to come bite them on the arse soon. And he's learned nothing from this. This is the, the worrying part is that he's learned nothing in this because in response to a question yesterday at a press conference, what did he do? He said that everything will be back to normal by Easter. And that we'll prosper mightily <laughs> under WTO. So, so he's, he has learned literally zero from the, the last nine months. He still just makes the next easy promise.
we're really seeing a kind of gap. You know, it's funny seeing the right wing populists realize you get get very frustrated with the people. And they go, why are the Pete Darren Grimes, I think, was going, why are the, why do the people, why are the people let me down? And it was like, I thought you loved the people, Darren. I thought the people uh, were the people that all the liberal elites had to listen to. But it turns out the people um, don't actually think that this is like 1984 and just want the virus to be uh, controlled. Naomi, Matt Hancock blurted out in an interview, the current lockdown in London and South East could go on for months. Um not specifying how many was that sort of calculated lowering of expectations or did he did he misspeak because because on the face of it that's incredibly bleak but on the face of it it probably is sensible and the numbers would seem to to bear that out not least because of the length of time it's going to take to vaccinate people in sufficient numbers so i think on that you know taking it at face value it probably is a reasonable expectation that, that at least for january february we will be in a pretty stringent lockdown if not full national lockdown I mean, he is not a great media performer, so there is every risk of him misspeaking and, and getting caught out by a, a clever journalist. Um, and I suspect he probably did get his knuckles wrapped for it afterwards. Well, if you mean two months, you don't say months, do you? Mm, I mean, because months just implies God yeah. knows when it's going to yeah. end. But we actually have well, worse... Well, the weather's warmer and we can be outside, I suppose. Is... Well, we have worse... It's worse now than in March, right, in terms of infections? Yes. Yes, that's right. Yes, so this is actually the worst point. Correct. Yeah, Correct. but um, we are much we are much better on the therapeutic side. So, um, so well, only if you can get into hospitals. So fewer deaths. That's, that's right. That's right. So, yeah. so yeah. So the danger is again the curve going above hospital capacity. Correct. If that happens, then we're in big, big trouble. And let's talk about the temporary ban on travel between the UK and the rest of Europe. Alex, what is the EU's reasoning, apart from a desire to pu- to punish the stout yeomen of England for trying to break out of their totalitarian <laughs> yoke? Well, um, I suspect what happened was that there was certain domestic political advantage um, at talking up this variant and its danger, and little thought was given to how that would play outside the UK. Um, So I think governments all around the world are are taking the UK government at its word when it says that we have a really, really terrible situation on our hands and they're taking measures. I suspect the the lorry uh, situation will be resolved today. That's, That's my sense from what I'm hearing because... Lorry drivers lead a relatively solitary existence when they're driving from A to B. And it's easy enough to test them at both ends, I guess. Um, and, uh, or, Isn't Dido Harding in charge of that? <laughs> or to... Uh, the so other thing... We can relax. Yes, we can relax. It's, it's all under control. Well, the other thing that's being suggested is that uh, um, basically the the lorries driven onto the ferry the driver gets off and then a different driver it's sort of disinfected at the other end and a different driver takes over so so there are several several solutions being looked at and i think they 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 will come to some sort of arrangement by the end of the day but you know the 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 problem is that if you're trying to scare the british public and I understand, by the way, why they're doing that. 
I understand why they're trying to sober up people uh, into understanding that this situation mm. is not over. But you're also terrifying governments of other countries. There's no, there's no way to sort of walk that line that won't have the effect of other people going, oh, shit. We better we better close our borders. The, the, the Tories aren't generally that worried about the people and worrying them. They are very worried, though, about worrying the markets. And it is worth noting that yesterday sterling plummeted off the back of the news of this double whammy of the virus disruption and Brexit. But also, and this is the really important point, the FTSE closed down as well. And that normally rallies when the currency falls. They, they normally have that converse relationship. People buy up stock when it's cheap, right? So this is very, very worrying economic news. And it's frankly abysmal that the media haven't gone to town on it and that the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, is nowhere to be seen. But it's interesting because I was watching CNN last night for a bit. We wish uh, we had and, a version of CNN in the UK. And, and they were, news is close <laughs> But they were saying that hopefully this will knock some sense into the British. That was the general thrust of it, that the that Brits are getting a taste of what a no-deal Brexit will be like, and they might begin to sober up on that possibility. What do we get over in this country? We're getting ground chaps saying that the current disruption in the ports proves that we can cope with a no-deal Brexit. I mean, no, it means you've used up your no-deal planning it, stock for exactly. this. Exactly. It is just an extraordinary level of denial. And the, and the media are helping to normalise catastrophe. BBC reporter after BBC interviewer yesterday throughout the day kept using that line back. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Isn't it great that actually we were doing so much prep for no deal? Because didn't that help us out in the end? Maybe it was the right thing to prepare for. I mean, it, it's frankly abysmal, abysmal that our media is letting us down this badly. Well, because media narratives are so important in the, you know, if we remember, I mean, obviously there were there were a few things going awry in the, in the 70s, but a lot of time it, it, we do remember sort of winter of discontent, crisis, what crisis. A lot of the time it's, it's when you were constantly being told you were in a crisis that you believe it. And it's actually quite hard to sort of reconcile how difficult things are with the fact that the sort of the, the, the media hasn't, yep. hasn't gone yep. to that place yet. I know. And it's just, I mean, this has been going on since the 70s as well, but the left are always held to a higher standard of account than the right. And that is because of inbuilt privilege. It, it, you know, it's just seen that that, that those that are from, you know, elite backgrounds that went to top class schools and universities can't possibly really be wrong, can they? Um, And and the the media is gripped by that as much as as much as anyone else. And they need to snap out of it because it's hurting us all. I don't want to do counterfactuals, but if, you know, you know that if Corbyn or indeed any other yeah. Labour prime minister was in charge, it, you know, all the, the newspapers would be RIP Britain, you know, it's all chaos, you've let us all down. But with, with, the, with, the, with the Tories, it tends to be, well, it is very difficult. Pandemics are difficult. Mm-hmm. And it's astonishing that they've essentially won the last four elections by claiming don't vote for them because it'll be chaos. Yeah. Naomi, and uh, people again talking about extensions and transition period, which would be super helpful. But but explain this to me because didn't that ship sail in July? Are there other avenues to create an extension which isn't the same as the extension that we missed the deadline for? 
Very, very good question. So uh, I'll start with telling you what the public have told us and then get on to that point. So at Best of Britain, we did a poll last Friday uh, that shows voters overwhelmingly want the government to seek an extension to Britain's Brexit transition period. So to Alex's point about having that taste of no deal, they were way ahead of us. They've never wanted no deal in large numbers. They still don't. There is majority support for extending the transition period with 51% backing such an arrangement and only 20% opposing it. Support for an extension is higher than for no extension in every part of the country, including among Conservative supporters. Now, quite rightly, lots of clever legislative wonks and Dora Linsky will tell you that there is simply no mechanism for an extension now. And of course, technically, they're not wrong. But where there is a will, there is always a way. And we're being told that the discussions that are still happening at the moment between Frost and Barnier um, are including discussions that are not an extension of the transition period, but rather a phase in provision of that future relationship treaty. And there is no legal problem with that at all. So whatever the mechanism, whether it's called an extension or an implementation period or a deferment, it's damn, damn clear that we need extra time. And it sounds very much like we're, we're pretty close to a deal and it would seem to be insanity to walk away just because the sand has run out on the egg timer for both sides. Well, you say we're close to a deal, which is encouraging, um, because another Sunday deadline went by without one. Do you think that because it really is literally we're talking, you know, it's it's days, it's it's hours that that that, that could yeah. you know sort of make a difference here. So in this sort of scary glimpse of tailbacks and and, and shortages, um, you know, which will affect a lot of people, you know, not you know, to- Tory columnists may indeed be excited about growing their own vegetables, um, but many people will be rather worried. You know, when Sainsbury says that we might not have enough, uh, sends out emails saying okay. we might not have enough M- food. Many people um, who know how vegetables grow will be worried. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm, I'm going some bananas in my back garden because Charles Moore <laughs> said it would be fine. I'll, I'll let you know how I get on. Um, so, I mean, do you do you think that this kind of latest, what's happened with COVID in the last few days, what how it has sort of nudged us, nudged them back, you know, away from from No Deal because it's sort of so scary and it's scary and it involves you know it involves borders and shortages and the same kind of things that would be affected by No Deal. Um, I, I certainly think it will have brought it into sharper focus for Johnson, who will have been pretty laissez-faire about it and you know not listening to the detail and just telling Frost to you know bully back at Barnier. I do think that Frost and Barnier were very well progressed last week as well, uh, and there's lots of talk this morning about a deal being even closer. You know, so ninety-nine percent close now. And uh, former May advisor Raoul Rupparel, who is always worth listening to on this stuff, he set out some very sensible-sounding compromises for both sides on the fish quotas. Uh, so the amount that, that each side can keep, the length of time that those quotas will apply. So, you know, down from seven years to five years for the EU side and up from three on the British side to five. And the arbitration mechanisms, if one side or other breaches any of those. So we are very, very close. And again, it just would be utter madness uh, when it's 99% done to, to walk away just because the clock stops. And I think, yes, there will be an extra pressure, particularly on the British side because of all of the terrible chaos and disruption uh, that we've seen over the last 24, 48 hours. Um, and so do you think before it's, do you think it'll be announced before Christmas or we're going to have to wait uh, till before New Year? 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, lo- lots of people saying that the 23rd is now the new deadline for the Brussels side, but I, I can easily see it rumbling on into next week. Next time uh, I-, I write a book, I'm going to apply the Brexit standard of deadlines. <laughs> where de- de- deadlines really are just kind of light suggestions. You, know, you, might, you might want to get it done by then, uh, but it's fine. You can keep going. So thanks for joining us. Sorry we couldn't be more Christmassy. So thank you so much to Naomi. Thanks, Dorian. And to Alex. A pleasure. We hope you have as good a holiday as possible and we will see you soon. Take care. Thank you.